and hello, Watch fans. Welcome to episode 39 of Fratello On Air. Today, we're introducing our first edition of a new pod column, Watching Sports and Sporting Watches, handily shortened to WASP. In this podcast, we'll be talking about our dual love of sports and watches, how those two worlds overlap in reality, and then the bizarro worlds of our imaginations. I'm Rob, and I'm joined by my Fratello brother, Balaj, and it's my distinct pleasure to kick off Wasp by welcoming my co-host all the way from Karlsruhe. B, how you doing, buddy? Wow, that was quite the intro. You're a professional. I was not ready for this, I have to say. I was not ready for this. But I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the, um, thanks for the invitation. Thanks for uh, yeah, bringing this, this up. I hope um, this is the first of many, many, many amazing podcasts we're going to do about uh, watches and uh, sports or sports and watches. What was your, uh, your um, go-to phrase? Watching sports and sporting watches. That's the tagline. You know, I thought it was a good title, but then I was sort of finding it a bit too much of a mouthful. So I shortened it to WASP, which if it's not clear, is the WA from watches and the SP from sports. I hope that's distinct. You got that? Oof. Oof. I have to, sorry, I have to keep the distance from the microphone because it's so fire right now. (laughs) (laughs) What about that opening theme tune? What about that? It's a good friend of mine called Skilly Music. I tell you, we have gone up in the world something serious recently. We've gone from Funkin' is Easy. I don't know where we picked up that track from, but now we've got our own A-list producer working for us. Mm. I mean, I think that was probably from the, the free music archive. I'm not sure where they got that one from, but this one is definitely not uh free and not from music archive and he's a very talented young producer and um yeah i I mean you 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 heard the track you like that so yeah i think it sets us off on a good foot and i have to say that uh it's a real pleasure to be able to put together something uh so professional uh given the motivations for me wanting to start this podcast um before we get into the nitty-gritty of what we're talking about this week, which is mostly focused on Super Bowl 55 that took place a couple of weeks back between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I want to just mention um, what kicked off this thought in my mind to start doing a sports-themed podcast, and that was the unfortunate passing of Chris Wessling, longtime NFL reporter and podcaster, part of the Around the NFL team, formerly Around the League with his buddies, Dan Hansis, Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and the rest of the guys and girls. Um, Chris was battling cancer for a couple of years. Um, he made it through the first fight and not the second. And uh, he died the Friday before the Super Bowl came out. And uh, I was strangely devastated. I don't know if it's, it should, should be strange, but it seemed strange to me that like I was so cut up about the death of somebody that I'd never met personally, um, but somebody who had a great impact on my life. Um, being a watchmaker before I was a writer, I used to have the Around the League and NFL podcast in my headphones daily. So um, those guys, their stories, especially Wes's insights to football and the the lore of the game really made a big impact and, and, and colored those years of my life that otherwise would have been uh, largely forgettable, just staring into watch movements and trying to make them tick. So um, following um, Wes's passing, I thought, hey, Let's uh, take advantage of the time that we've got and do something that's always been on my mind and bring my two biggest passions together. And I was lucky enough to have you on the team, Balaj, because without your shared love of American sports, then this would not have happened. So thanks for answering the call. I appreciate it. Our oh, pleasure is all mine. And I think this is a, a a great and very fitting tribute, you know, to him and and his podcast. I mean, well, all of his work too, for you to do a po- your own podcast or a or a 
saw podcast column on Fratello talking about sports uh, and watches and that the first episode is actually about football. So uh, yeah, let's kick it. Yeah. Um, before we get right into the game, go to NFL.com, check out some of Wes's long form articles, especially uh, his Houston Oilers piece, Love Your Blue. That's a great one to read. If you're not into sports journalism, it doesn't matter. The way it's written is compelling and engaging. It's the way, to be honest, that I hope that we, we try and write on Fratello. We don't want to just preach to guys and girls that already love watches. We want to try and create a story and uh, a narrative and weave in our own personal experiences and hopefully bring more people into the fold because it shouldn't be an exclusive community. It should just be for everybody. So yeah, check that stuff out and read Fratello while you're at it. Of course, we're also not terrible at writing. Um, so to the game, to the big game, Super Bowl 55. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you will have noticed that there was a pretty big occasion taking place in Tampa Bay a couple of weeks back, um, for the first time in Super Bowl history, a home team uh, featured in the Super Bowl. So Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, they made it all the way to the big game, um, which was hosted in the Raymond James Stadium. They neutralized the ground, which is a bit of a weird thing to do, and I'm a bit disappointed they did it really. Um, Tampa Bay is famous for having a massive pirate ship in the stands and firing the cannons every time the home team scores. Um, they weren't allowed to do that. And obviously like the massive advantage of having your home fans was taken away by Corona, but there were quite a few people in the stadium. I think there was about 25,000 in total, seven and a half thousand of those were vaccinated healthcare workers from the, uh, from the U S and, uh, it turned out to be perhaps not what everyone was expecting. Um, I, I picked the champion, but I did not pick the scoreline. Did you watch the game B? Yeah. I did, and then I fell asleep, and then I woke up, I watched a bit more, and then I fell asleep again, and then it was, uh, what, 31, so I thought, okay, this is over, and then I fell asleep again, and then the next day, I watched the whole thing all over again, minus the halftime show, because I really don't care for that. Yeah, I've never cared for the halftime show myself, although I must admit, The weekend is probably my favorite modern artist um, around at the moment. Um, I didn't watch it. I went outside and started a fire and danced around it like a madman because I was already about eight beers in by that point. Um, but I did catch up with it the next day uh, when my girlfriend told me that it was getting rave reviews online, and I thought he did a really good job. So nice. No controversy, which was good to see. It was nice, yeah. But it's just it's just not my thing. I mean, I, yeah, I never really liked the – I think Coldplay was a good few years ago and Beyonce, and obviously I remember the, um, the infamous Justin Timberlake, uh, Janet Jackson – who could forget fiasco right uh so yeah it's not really for me but but i like the i like the i like the visuals you know of super bowl i liked how they made this the uh these cutouts these paper cutouts of people so even if the the, the stadium was not fully kind of looked packed and of course you had these uh, audio um like pre-recorded cheerings from from previous games and things like that so well, watching it from tv it kind of looked real and um i don't know how it felt in the in the arena well it was definitely real the result still counts and uh it was a strange yeah. old season a really winding road to get to this point uh tampa bay kind of stumbled a little bit in the early part of the season but they went undefeated after their late bye week um in fact they lost to kansas city going into that bye week and um the scoreline in that game was closer than it really should have been kansas had them in a grave early and uh Tampa scored some points in garbage time and uh, made it look more respectable. But this game, like I said, I picked the Buccaneers to win, but I expected a massive shootout. I expected it to be plus 30 points on both sides. 
Um, and nobody saw, I don't think, I didn't hear anybody predict the Bucks stymieing the Chiefs in such a fashion. I mean, you said you watched it at first, you fell asleep, you woke up. I mean, if you made it awake to halftime, you saw the game. It was done. No, no, I yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think I, I fell asleep for the first time around this before the halftime. So, I, I yeah, it was pretty much sealed at that point. And then I, I woke up again, and then I think the last ten, five to ten minutes I watched it, and then I was like, okay, it's, it's 9, 31. <laughs> that's not much to say goodbye good night i'll see you tomorrow just like i said with the first game between these two teams this season um it could have been more really uh tampa bay played really really well they played tight offense their defense was superb it was like they summoned the defense from their previous super bowl championship uh way back in uh, 2000 and what we're talking here uh two i guess at the uh at the end of the 2002 season early 2003. And uh, that was an absolute shellacking that they laid on the Raiders. You would have got some good, good odds if you'd bet against uh, Patrick Mahomes not not scoring a touchdown. In fact, this is the first game he started as a chief in which he hasn't scored a touchdown uh, passing or running. So this is a a huge, a huge uh, turn up. It came at the worst possible time for Mahomes to have his worst professional game, but he didn't get much help around him. I mean, they had injuries on the offensive line. He was missing Fisher. He was missing Schwartz. Uh, without those guys up front, he couldn't be hoped uh, to do the same things that he'd done all season. I mean, it's just it's too much for a quarterback to overcome themselves. The importance of those guys cannot be overstated. Talking about the importance of certain players, we've got one Tom Brady on the other side of the ball, on the center for the Bucks. Tell me what you know about Tom Brady, Bilash. He had amazing watches at Tackwear a few years ago. <laughs> no. no. All jokes aside, I mean, um, obviously, um, of course, I know of Tom Brady. I know that he's um, now after uh, the 55th Super Bowl, he's considered the GOAT. And I think we'll talk about this a bit later. I don't know about that. Uh, he's definitely um, an outstanding figure in sports and especially in, in football, in American football. I mean, seven Super Bowls out of 10. I mean, seven wins out of 10 Super Bowls, right? If I'm, if I'm correct. You are correct. Yeah, that is absolutely yeah. right. And uh, that's, he, that's not bad. Style. That's not right. bad. No, that's not <laughs> bad at all. I was, I was thinking about this. I was out on a run the other day and I was just jogging along and I was rolling through some statistical anomalies in my head, as I often do. And I noticed that Tom Brady's the first man to ever have a 70% win record in the Super Bowl. Now, that doesn't sound that remarkable, but I realized the only way you can actually get to a clean 70% is to make at least 10 games. You know, you can have 80%, you can have 75%, you can have all other combinations that you want before then, but that 70% for me is just such a such a rich number, you know, 7 out of 10. Right, and especially if you consider his career, like how long was his career and is his career? I mean, if you say 20 years in the in the game, right, or so, every every second year he was in the Super Bowl? It's a, cra- it's a crazy thing when you think about that. Um, and, you know, to now have won one in three basically, uh, Super Bowls per years of his career is just absolutely stunning. Um, before he came to the Bucks, of course, everyone just believed it was the combination of uh, Tom and Belichick, uh, his old coach up in New England. Mm-hmm. They won six Super Bowls together as a head coach and quarterback duo. And um, now that narrative has been distinctly changed. We'll get to that in a moment. We're going to pick up with Bill Belichick in, in a short while. But let's talk about another one of Tom Brady's uh, buddies on the field this time, and that's Rob Gronkowski. 
Rob Gronkowski is a standout tight end who played with Tom for many years in New England, winning uh, three Super Bowls together there and followed Tom. He actually came out of retirement. Uh, Gronk had given it all up to go and recline on a party boat somewhere surrounded by beautiful women and towers of beer. And uh, he came back with his fun-loving persona and his laid-back attitude, uh, brought a nice new uh, easygoing vibe to the Bucks camp. And together, those two old boys rode the pirate ship all the way to victory. What I want to know, though, in your opinion, Balaj, is if you were going watch shopping with Rob Gronkowski, one of the... Uh, most exuberant players in the league, one of the most popular figures, mm-hmm. and you were advising him on what watch he should buy. What would you? What would you point him in the direction of? As you said, he's a fun-loving guy, so you know, I don't see him wearing a Batman or a Daytona or uh, I don't know an AP Royal Oak. That's not his style. Maybe that's you know, or or Richard Mille. That's like Antonio Brown, right? Right. Um, or for Ned, but. No, I think he could rock a Unimatic Modelo Uno, the <laughs> U1 SS3. Remember the one with the SpongeBob face on it? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. The yes, mean yes. eyes that are like the grouchy eyes and the the teeth. That could be that, – that's a fun That's a fun loving watch for a fun loving guy, you know? I almost swallowed my microphone. I was laughing so much then trying not to create a huge uh, cacophony in the background. But hi. Oh. Yeah, what a brilliant choice. What a great choice. I, I, I had a feeling it was going to be something um, googly-eyed and uh, face-based. I, I was thinking of the never – heard, never heard that used in a luxury watch conversation before. I'm looking for something face-based. I was going to go for the uh, Constantine Jacking Joker, uh, just the original one because it's – That's also nice. That's yeah. cool. But, I mean, the SpongeBob uh, Unimatic is such a good choice because knowing Gronk, and, you know, that's a robust watch, okay? So, you know, he can beat that thing to hell, but he'd, he'd still break it. So it's affordable enough for him to go through a few of them. Well, not that he cares, right? But <laughs> I think, can you imagine getting the watch opening? Like, I love it, bro. I love it, bro. It's awesome. I think you'd love it. I mean, I thought about the, the, the Urverick uh, UR105, you know, because that's, that's also a very cool, like a different piece. And, and MJ wears one. So if it's good enough for Michael Jordan, it's probably good enough for Gronkowski. But yeah i mean that's that's too still a serious watch and then i thought about the angelus uh, u40 because you know the connection with um uh, with the vikings uh justin jefferson the wide receiver for the for the vikings sure. he's the he's the, the face of uh, one of the faces of the u40 but I'm like okay justin jefferson has the 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 angelus u40 so that's that's out of the question and then it hit me Unimatic Modelo Uno, U1 SS3. I'm impressed. I'm going to ask you what you would buy Tom, but first let's just talk about Tom's previous history um, as a Tag Heuer ambassador for years, right? He was, he was one of the most visible faces of Tag for many years. Right. But he wasn't the only one. Do you remember any other sporting ambassadors from Tag? And, and if so, who was your favorite? If I think back uh, early 90s and obviously Senna, Arden Senna was, was great, but that was a different decade. Woods, uh, DiCaprio is not a sports figure. I don't know. I can't. I mean, um, Cristiano Ronaldo. He was with. Uh, he had a watch with. True, Taco, true. I remember that a few yeah. years ago. It was green. It was green and black. The yeah. Grass is green on the football field. Awesome. Truly awful. Um, it was not their best. Um, I remember that year they had the 
they had the David Guetta watch, they had the Cristiano Ronaldo watch, and they had the Cara Delevingne watch at the same year. It might have been 2016, 2017, I can't remember. Yeah, I would guess it might even be earlier because I remember covering those for a blog to watch. So I would, I, off the top of my head, I'd guess 2015, but it was a dark Could've time. Been. For tag yeah. special editions, so David get one that had like the bund strap, right? Bund it was a bund strap, yeah, and it was like blue, blue and black uh, quartz movement, as far as I remember. And uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo, as I said, was green, black and green. It was not a good, not not a good um, era for for sports connecting sports in tag Heuer, which obviously has a huge history, especially with motorsports, right? As I said, Formula One in eighties and nineties. I have a feeling, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but I have this sort of echoing image in my mind of Lewis Hamilton being a tag ambassador early on in his career when he was back with McLaren. Could have Um, been. I can't remember. I think Hamilton is with with IWC now because I remember uh, having the the watches printed on their their gloves, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's some Mm -hmm. pretty fruity stuff coming out of uh, Hamilton's watch wardrobe. But I mean, he's he's quite a good ambassador. I've never been a huge Lewis Hamilton fan myself, but um, again, like just like Tom Brady's achievements have now ascended him to a level of uh, irrefutable greatness, so have Hamilton's seven world titles and uh, uh, seven rings for Brady, seven titles for for Hamilton. Um, entirely mm-hmm. different kettle of fish, of course. But let's see if they can both carry on. I know Hamilton's got a few years left in him yet, but Brady, I I was praying, praying, not because I'm a Brady hater, quite the opposite. I adore the man. Um, I deify him. I I was hoping he would retire after this. I just thought what a great exclamation point that would be on the end of his career to leave the Patriots, to just to completely dispel all of that notion that, hey, Brady's a system quarterback. He can't do it without Bill. Oh, he's going to go to Tampa Bay and everyone's going to find him out and that's going to be the end of his legacy and Belichick's going to look amazing. The exact opposite thing happened. Tom goes to Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. he lifts them out of the doldrums, he takes a team that hasn't been to the playoffs for more than a decade, not just to the Super Bowl, but to a resounding victory. I was thinking, Tom, just please walk away on that podium. No one's catching you. You've now got seven championships. That is more than any individual franchise in the NFL. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. But but hey, he's coming back, he's coming back for number eight. He's coming back for number eight. And at this point, who can stop him? Talking of someone that could stop him, Bill Belichick. Ooh, mm. the evil empire mm. rises from the shadows. I really don't know what, what, what the reason was behind Tom Brady leaving. Um, I read some articles that said they had some, some because they, they had a good chemistry, it seemed, right? Belichick and Tom Brady. But then I read some articles that said, yeah, well, there was some issues between the two of them and, and Tom just had enough and he wanted to leave. Uh, I don't know. I just think that if you had a good run, you know, with with your team and with this player, he left. Good for him, man. Just take the L and sit down, and that's it. And that's really not what they did or what he did. And um, I, I just, I just don't like it. I think it's, yeah. I mean, he's been typically tight-lipped his entire career. Belichick, he's like getting blood from a stone uh, in interviews, and. I always thought like following this uh, divorce, which was relatively clean um, from the outside looking in at the time, at least um, that he would be magnanimous and he would be respectful and he would be uh, exalting Brady for all that he'd given him. You know, Belichick had two Super Bowl rings as a D coordinator before he became head coach of the Patriots. So he tasted success before, but his whole legacy is built 
by the hands of Tom Brady. And for many years, it was impossible to separate those two men. And regardless of what Tom's success, independent of Belichick, might say about Tom, I uh, I don't think it, it should have to diminish Belichick's legacy. And I think the best way to maintain his uh, his own standing in the minds of football lovers and analysts around the world is just to be, you know, straight up cool about it and be like, it's awesome. You know, this guy that I worked with for 20 years and had unrivaled success with uh, has gone on to prove just how wonderful he is and just how valuable he was to this organization. Just be humble. Just like take it, like you say, and, uh, you know, okay, keep the fire burning inside. Come back next year um, with a great game plan, figure out a way to get a, a quarterback um, on the center that can really make a difference. Cam Newton was interesting last year, but he didn't have enough help. Um, they need a real superstar. No chance of Deshaun Watson going there, I guess. But if Belichick could get somebody that had tools that even Brady didn't and doesn't have, like the ability to run, for example, uh, then who knows uh, what could happen. We'll have to wait and see. But at this point, I'm I'm convinced that Belichick is sitting in his basement somewhere um, counting the seconds until he can exact his revenge on the Brady narrative, which has somewhat got away from him. I want to know if you, if, if Belichick invited you into his house now, which after what you've just said is highly unlikely, what watch would you advise him to track the revenge countdown on? G-Shock. <laughs> you know, he's a low key guy. G-Shock has a ton of features. It's cheap. It's indestructible. He's not a flashy person. I would be perfect for him. I would. I could have said Sunto or Garmin, but no, those are not watches. Those are devices. I I feel that it's not a watch brand, right? Sunto or, or Garmin. They they make good products and devices. But they're not their watches. But G Shock, I, I can see him rocking the G Shock. That's very interesting. The countdown time is a really nice feature. Yeah, I can see. I can see that. Um, interesting, and it will become clear why it's so interesting as the show progresses. Before we move on to our next segment. I just want to touch upon Tom's current ambassadorship with IWC. We talked about his former involvement with TAG, and obviously now he, as many other athletes and luminaries around the world are, are repping IWC. But does it suit him? Would you like him to be an ambassador for another brand? I mean, he's been with IWC since 2019, right? It's a fairly new partnership. I think it it kind of fits to to his personality you know the brand but if i had to choose another brand for tom brady um given the status that he has right now i would go with a brand that you know has two names and both starts with a p interesting that could be yeah that could be a nice brand and i can imagine the tom brady 5970 limited edition i uh, you know while we're on the subject of American football limited editions, there is one brand that every year churns out a, I believe, piece unique to commemorate the score and participants of the Super Bowl. It's Moritz Grossman. And Moritz Grossman is a brand very close to me geographically right now. I'm sitting here in Dresden. They're just down the road. I've been to the manufacturer. I sat down with the CEO and uh, I expressed my incredible admiration and love for the products that they produce. The movements are gorgeous. The finishing on those movements is uh, is top-notch. 
Um, each, each component, even components that, you know, you don't normally think of as being finished, like the regulating arm on a balance cock, beveled and hand polished for hours and hours and hours to achieve a brilliant black polish finish. The hands are the things that really get me going because it takes a guy a year to learn how to make those hands. And they are things of beauty. The violet heat treatment they apply to them is uh, something else. Sometimes they use the brine if it matches with the case and dial colorway a little bit better. But they have this nasty habit, and I mentioned this to the CEO, of creating Incredibly incongruous special editions yeah, that completely... Yeah, those are not the nicest. No, those are... Oh, my God. I mean, aesthetically, let's put that aside for one second, because, you know, one one man's going to love that, one man's going to hate it, fine. Or maybe a hundred are going to hate it, one's going to like it, and one's going to buy it, and they only make one, and that's fine. In the mind of Moritz Grossman, and this was exactly the opinion that she expressed to me at the time, I said, don't you think it's a bit risky to be making these slightly distracting limited editions when you're in a position right now that you have to build your core brand you have to build the message that you're sending because across the road you've got Langatanzona down the street you've got Glasgow Original just out the window you can see Nomos and Nomos and Moritz they're not in the same price point of course but in terms of like brand building you know there's three brands from Glasgow that I just name dropped there they've done a damn good job of it we know what each of those products is and the cruelty I think that Moritz Grossman sometimes inflict upon itself is to distract from what that brand actually is because the watches they make, like the Cornerstone and the GMT in particular, are absolute stunners, gorgeous. You know, they're not just on the level of Nomos or Glaster de Riganal. You know, you can put them on a level with some Langers. That is a real compliment. I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart because I love Langerzona, but Super Bowl Special Edition watches, and this is me talking, Every year I open up my inbox um, first Sunday of February and I, and, I, and I hold my breath and I see this new um, luxury watch from Germany, okay, ticking all my boxes, focused on the Super Bowl. Theoretically, I should be the number one customer for this in the world. I can't imagine anybody who is as duly obsessed with both of these fields as I am. And if I don't get it, why does it exist? And they all look the same, don't they? Yeah, I think they might change the color on the hands. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but the case is the same. The dial design is pretty much the same. The ball is like a, that's the the center piece, the ball, and then at the bottom you have the the score and then the year. It's not my thing, really. But Moritz Grossman neither. I mean, I I completely agree with you. Everything you said, the brand just never really moved me. So I think it's I, I don't know. That's the real tragedy of it, because there's so much stuff in that collection, or at least one or two pieces that are absolute home runs, which do move watch fans. They really do. Like, they grabbed me, and they really interested me. The Hamatic, that's that's the one. That's my number one. That's my absolute favorite. Runaway, best piece ever. It's got the anchor swinging weight in the back of it, and it looks fantastic. I mean, I can't express how successful that watch deserves to be. And yet, here we are. People are overlooking it and people are talking about the stuff that really shouldn't be distracting them from the real crux of that collection. Well, if, you know, different strokes for different folks, right? Yeah. And, you know, the justification is, of course, from a sales perspective, these piece uniques, they do sell. Somebody buys them. And I think it's very dangerous for a brand to observe that as a success. I don't think that success can be so cleanly quantified. But hey, I'm sure they will survive. They seem to have some good financial backing. And fingers crossed, fingers crossed, we see some more mainstream stuff from them starting to get the traction it deserves. Now, let's move on to our main segment in uh, in this show that we have for you today it's time <laughs> finally that ballpark theme tune has uh, has some relevance <laughs> um it's time to talk about the goat the greatest of all time okay 
I was reading NFL.com the other day, as I am often known to, and I came across an article by Adam Rank, who is the NFL industry's resident contrarian. He likes to put forward his controversial opinions, and he'd written up a list of the top 20 GOATs of all time. And this is from all sports. Now, what he's done here is he's picked the top of each sport and ranked them accordingly. So we haven't got Michael Jordan and LeBron on this list. We've only got one of them. Spoiler alert. Well, it's a top 16, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, top 16. Yeah, sorry, top 16. And I have scythed it down to top 10. I've scythed it down to the top 10 because uh, we've we've been on the air for 35 minutes or so already. And just so that you uh, have some chance to go to sleep tonight, we're not going to stay on too much longer. We've got 10 goats to go through. And we have selected for each of these goats the perfect watch so balaj how about you take us from the top tell us who is slotted in at number 10 on mr rank's list from nfl.com so number 10 is simone biles gymnastics five-time olympic medalist four golds in 2016 and one bronze in 2016 and 19 gold medals in the world championships you know she's obviously legendary athlete still super young Super, super talented. And indeed, 2016 was all about her and her uh, squad of girls in the Olympics. She's a very tiny girl, right? She's a very short and, well, quite obviously strong and and fit girl, but very, very small girl. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, I was thinking something small, but I didn't want to go with, you know, the usual suspects like a Cartier and things like that. So I could imagine. Ms. Biles rocking a nice Piaget or a Chopard. Very nice. Do you have a particular Piaget in mind for any reason? Um, yeah, I mean, I was um, I, I was sure that I wanted to go with jewelry brands. And um, I was thinking, eh, I'm not even sure if if that's something I should do. Maybe she should get like a, a small AP or, or something like that. But um, in the end... I picked one. I picked the Limelight Gala watch, the, the 32 millimeter white gold version with a diamond encrusted bezel, the black uh, black strap. There's the there's the gold version with the gold um, Milanese bracelet, and there's a, a um, as I said a white gold version. So it's not a rose gold; it's a white gold version, 32 millimeters diamond watch with a black black strap. I think that's a very very classy um, Piaget for for a lady for a small petite lady like Miss Biles. I think that's a really cool choice because Piaget has got, obviously its reputation as a brand matches up with like Biles characteristics very well. Like they're ultra slim, but incredibly like strong and like focused and accurate. And I like that. I like that a lot. And, and Piaget's won 10 GPHG awards, which is third on the all time list, I believe, which is uh, stacks up pretty nicely with Biles 19 gold medals in the world championships. So who did Mr. Rank line up at number nine for us? Uh, number nine is Willie Mace, World Series champion, two-time NL MVP, and a rookie of the year, 1951. Of course, we're talking baseball. We're talking baseball in the 50s. Uh, 12-time gold glove winner, 1954 batting champion, four-time home run leader, four-time stolen base leader. So I mean, if you know baseball, you know Willie Mace. So I'm a big baseball fan, um, probably unsurprisingly. It's it's my second sport after football. I 
latched onto this one. I read Rank's list last year, and he originally had Babe Ruth in this slot, and I'm, I'm glad that you put Mays up here, um, largely because I feel he's okay. Everybody knows Willie Mays, but he doesn't he doesn't get the same kind of love and name checking that Ruth does, and that's that's a real shame because he was an absolute titan for sport in its day and a real pioneer. And also, I was racking my brains about what watch to give Willie Mays. And uh, Mm -hmm. his presence on this list threw up one of the greatest coincidences I've ever come across. During his career, Willie Mays batted in 1,903 runs, okay? And I looked at that number and I thought, you know what, 1903, 1903, there's got to be some relevance for us at Fratello there. I was doing a bit of research uh, and uh, I was reminded that Omega... The, the brand Omega actually was founded in 1903. So we often talk about the brand being founded in 1848. The brand that spawned Omega was founded in 1848, and that was La Générale Watch Co., founded in Le Chaux de Fonds, um, all the way back in the mid-19th century. But it wasn't until 1903 that the Omega brand name officially became its own company. Mm-hmm. They had Coming produced- from the caliber. Right, right, right. They had produced watches with the Omega name and the caliber and whatnot. But here we have uh, uh, 1903 Omega coming to the fore. So I thought, okay, right, Willie Mays has got to wear an Omega. So what's it going to be? And I thought, hey, he was slugging some serious balls throughout his uh, throughout his career. So uh, we need something with some shock resistance, some serious shock resistance. Now, I considered the watch that McElroy promoted a few years back that was ideal for golf, but I thought, nah. Now this guy is his uh, next level. He needs something a bit more than that. So I've given him the Omega X33 Mars watch because it's shock resistant to three and a half thousand Gs. Okay, that's an is interesting that- one. I would have gone with a Globemaster when you said Omega. Interesting. I don't know. That's popped. That's popped into my head. But that's not a bad. That's not a bad analogy. It's actually a very cool analogy. Yeah. I feel he could wear that while he's playing. I mean, it's a lightweight Omega. It's tough as nails like he was um he could time his his base runs you know why not mm-hmm. something a bit different mm-hmm. something a bit out there and i tell you what if you drag that watch all the way back to 1954 when he won his batting title and shown him that his eyes would have fallen out of his head he wouldn't have believed it existed i mean talk about mm-hmm. space age all right number eight i'm going to introduce this one for you and i'm going to let you take this off my hands number eight is pele and the sport that mr rank is referring to here is of course soccer or where I'm from and where Balazs is from. We call it football. Uh, Pele is uh, obviously a a prodigy um, starting his career with Santos at the age of 16 and appearing in a world cup. Soon after he went on to win three world cups in 1958, 62 and 70. He's the only man to ever win three world cups and uh, he's a legend in his own right. But what would you give him to wear to celebrate his career? So, as we all know, Pele is from Brazil, right? Mm-hmm. What's Brazil known for other than beautiful ladies? Um, a cool flag. Other than a cool flag? Um, the big statue of Jesus. Come on, Rob. Open a, open, a, open a holiday catalog. What's the first thing you see about Brazil? Rio. And the beach. And right? the beach. <laughs> Huge, wide, sandy beaches. I'm not That's a beach guy. Mean. I mean, have you seen my well, skin? You're not a beach guy, but we're not picking a watch for you. We're picking a watch for a Brazilian guy who probably spent a lot of time on the beach. And I'm 
guessing he's back in Brazil enjoying his his time. You know, he's 80 years old, man. He was born in 1940. 80 years old. Wow. It's a living legend. You know, I almost met him once. I was invited to uh, the opening of the Hublot 2 factory in Neon, and Pele was there. I took a great picture of him. I was two meters away from him. Um, and uh, I regret to this day that I didn't just go up to him and talk to him or shake his hand. But I was a bit worried that I would, like, hurt him because he's so frail these days. It's, it's kind of sad to see, to be honest. I mean, his, he worked his body from a young age um, at yeah. extreme level. But um, yeah, that, that day, I wish, 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 wish that I just said just a couple of words to him just to thank him, you know, for all the great memories. Selfie. You have to do a selfie with him. I was, it was 2015, man. Nobody did selfies in 2015. Uh, I was in Le Mans in 2016 and I did a selfie with the Le Mans trophy and with uh, Derek <laughs> Bell. That's a pretty cool picture of uh, of me. Well, not me, obviously. I'm, I'm <laughs> the least important thing in the picture. But <laughs> Derek, Derek Bell was looking for his name on the Le Mans. I was uh, with uh, Porsche, in the, in, invited by Porsche, and they won. So the, the trophy was in the in the hospitality lounge and he was looking for his name because you know he had one one before with jackie x mm-hmm. so he was talking with jackie x and he was looking for his name and um i took a selfie with me and the, the trophy behind me on the table and him and his i think he was his son-in-law looking for his name and, and he found it and i said did you find your name and he said they put my name on the back i can't believe that look at it everybody takes a picture of the trophy and my name is on the back <gasps> oh well, amazing still a legend Derek bell a great guy what a story Super nice guy that is Super so nice cool guy. yeah okay right well 2016 obviously selfies had uh had, had reached the yeah, general boom right of course yeah <laughs> they yeah, boomed i missed i year. missed it sorry uh anyway pele what would you give him yeah so uh beaches water we want something that's water resistant we need a dive watch check this out i picked the sub 300 carbon aqualung us divers by doxa Good grief. Not to mention that there's the connection with the U.S. divers and Pele, who spent the, his last two seasons with the New York Cosmos. So there's the U.S. connection there. Okay, what? so we've got what, what? We've got U.S. Pele's career ended in, well, well in the United States. In the yeah. United States. Mm-hmm. Um, divers are common mm-hmm. in football, although Pele wasn't renowned as a diver, I don't believe. <laughs> um it that, wasn't a comment at the time, I hope. Uh, no, no, I, no, it wasn't. Not at all, no. Um, but um, is it, this This is the one, has it got yellow accents on it? And that's what I wanted to say. Like ah. the, third, the third feature or the third uh, part of my thought process was the big yellow um, part in the Brazilian flag that perfectly matches the yellow uh, indices and yellow hand of the watches. For those of you guys, I'm guessing... Rob's going to put this in the show note. It's a carbon case, a black carbon case with the black carbon dial, black rubber strap, and then there are, the indices are mostly white. But then the 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 bezel and the um, uh, as well as the minute hand are yellow, and the logo, obviously the Aqualung logo on the on the dial are, are yellow. Okay, okay, go. okay. I'll give you that. I that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. That definitely would look pretty sweet on Pele's wrist. Yeah, I uh, I personally thought we were going to go down the Santos route, the Cartier Santos, just because before Pele, perhaps the most famous Brazilian was Alberto Santos Dumont. Uh, his his flying exploits um, gave rise to what some people believe to be the first commercially available wristwatch. 
True. Gautier Santos, and it still exists today. So anyway, I like your Doxa pick. That is really nice. Really, that really was your nice. pick? The, the Santos was your pick for him? The Santos would have been my pick for Pele, but you know, okay. I, I, I'm not going to fight you on it. I like it. I like it a lot. But listen, he's, he's, an, he's, he's as you said, he's connected to Hublot, right? I mean, yeah. compare the Doxa to Hublot and then compare the Santos to Hublot. You're definitely in the, in the wheelhouse of Pele's association, but that's uh, that's not to say I necessarily agree that's the most apt association for an eight year old soccer star. But yeah, whatever, dude. Whatever. Well, dude, you you wanted to give an Omega golf watch to a guy who's not around anymore, so. Well, I went for the I went for the space watch just you know to show how astronomically brilliant Willie Mays was. But anyway, let's Oof. move on. Let's move on. Wordplay saved me that time. Uh, next up, at number seven, we got Michael Phelps. I mean, everybody knows who Michael Phelps is. He's a famous Omega ambassador. At least he was during the heyday of his career. He's the most decorated Olympian of all time. He won twenty three golds in total. Um, eight golds in two thousand eight alone. That surpassed. Fellow swimmer Mark Spitz's all-time record for goals at a single game. Spitz took seven. Phelps snared eight. His late career renaissance, though, is kind of what endears me more to Phelps than that dominant period in Beijing. And uh, he continued to add goals to his haul in 2012 and 2016. And that kind of longevity and excellence at the very top, the gold standard of the pool, it can only mean one thing for me. And I'm not even going to open this up for discussion. I'm going to tell you what I think, and I want to hear your repost. I think Phelps deserves a Rolex, and the perfect watch for him is an all-gold Submariner reference 126618LB. That is the all-gold sub in 41 millimeters with a blue dial and a blue bezel and a hefty 34,600 euro price tag. What do you think? Um, it's a great choice. I obviously also went with gold, but I went with the day date. Rolex Day Date. Oh, classy. Just because he's an elder statesman of the sport now. Cause I, yeah, because I <clears throat> I mean, he's a big dude, right? He's very tall. The watch might look small on him, but I thought this guy, you know, he's gold through and through. Um, what is gold through and through when it comes to watches? I mean, it's the Day Date. To me, that is true. Anyway. That is true. No, you're totally right. And I, I almost went the same way, I have to admit, because I was... I was thinking the sustained dominance and like the Russia gold always said Rolex to me. And then it was a question of which one. And yeah, when you're talking gold, when that's your main focus, 100% agree. Uh, good choice. Nice one. I think he'd like both. He can probably find, if he's got room in his cabinet for 23 gold medals, he's probably got room for two gold watches. So fingers crossed. Yeah. And we both wanted Rolex. So that tells something, right? Right, right, right. Because we haven't consulted on this, and that will become apparent as the list gets down to the sharp end. Um, but tell me, who's in number six? Who's in the six hole? Man, number six is, I think to many, that's number one. Um, and that's Muhammad Ali. The great, late, great Muhammad Ali. Um, I mean, what can we say about Muhammad Ali that has not been said by a million times? I think his career record is 56-5, 37 wins by a knockout, three-time heavyweight champion of the world, thriller in Manila, um, rumble in the jungle, one-time Olympic medalist, gold in 1960, um, you know, social activist, uh, philanthrop, an amazing person on and off, um, or in and out of the ring in, in his case. More, more than just a great man, a cultural icon and uh, someone that embodied a, a zeitgeist that, um, yeah, has been pivotal, I think, in uh, 
in American and global history. Um, hard to overstate Ali's influence really on the 20th century um, as far as a single person can go. But therefore, what kind of watch can we possibly uh, bedeck the wrist of this man with? It's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> because because it's not about boxing. I mean, you know, there's 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 Mayweather, there's Tyson. These are the boxers that I grew up, mostly Tyson, watching. And of course, Tyson was was you know very loud and out there. And Mayweather is even even more uh, loud and somewhat well obnoxious in in a way, I guess. But uh, Ali to me is a is a classy person that requires something something super classy. So, what do you think? What was the watch that I went with? Oh, what was the watch? Just send me the brand. Just send me the brand. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know whether I'm gonna like feed, feed into your bias. Um, if it was, if it was you, I'm, I know you'd try and get him wearing an Angelus or Angelus, <laughs> um, and I think that would look pretty cool on his wrist. He could time the amount of seconds it took him to knock someone out. Um, but I'm guessing that's not where you went. Uh, mm-hmm. Classy, classy, classy. Vacheron. Yo. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, sweet, sweet. Oh, I went with the overseas. Oh, really? Oh, because of his global influence. Indeed, and because he had to go overseas to, to fight, huh. you know, the thriller in Manila and the rumble in the jungle, because you know, because all his <laughs> because of his political views, obviously, he was not allowed to fight in the U.S. <laughs> so he was he was an overseas, like an international icon, and I can imagine, you know, or I could imagine Muhammad Ali with an overseas on his wrist. Um, it's a classy watch. It's, you know, I mean, Vashon Constantin is, you know, it's up there. Um, yet it's very understated, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. The brand as well as the model. Um, maybe on a leather strap. Wow. Oh, maybe we could get a special strap made out of boxing glove leather. That would be nice. There you go. Hard yeah, to beat. You know what? Um, great show. I actually was thinking in a really different direction. I was thinking of something super out there, like a Zenith Defy lab. I liked the name of the Defy. I thought Ali defied the odds in and out of the ring, like you said. And he was, I went for the fastest, <laughs> one of the fastest movements I could think of a 15 Hertz movement, high frequency, accurate. And uh, yeah, something, uh, a different breed, just like the man himself. But nice, nice thing. Yeah. yeah Vacheron overseas. Uh, I'm pretty chuffed that I managed to, uh, that I got that, got that guess. Um, yeah, good choice, man. Good choice, good justification. And number five, number five on the list, we have a, we have a controversial pick in some ways. It's uh, from the sport of tennis. Mm-hmm. Now, let's let's just uh, assess your feelings here. Who is the greatest tennis player of all time, in your opinion? Federer. Federer, huh? Yeah, Federer. But, but yeah, by a mile. Uh, yeah, uh, to me, to me, the answer is still is still Federer. Yeah, I mean, I know we we saw Jocko close the gap to two uh, with his win in the Aussie um, the other day over Medvedev, a dominant win over Medvedev in the end, which kind of surprised me. I did think that Medvedev might be able to trouble him a little more in my earlier years. Obviously, not my early tennis career. No such thing exists. I was a dedicated Federer fan, and. I, I hated anyone getting close to him in any way. I even balked at N- Nadal um, racking up wins at the French in his early career. It was it was awful for me. Now uh, I've come to love Nadal and I'm totally cool with him being on twenty a piece with Fed. But I'm scared that Djokovic is not just going to catch him but overtake them. And I'm scared because when I watch Djokovic play tennis, I feel like 
he probably is the greatest tennis player uh, when it comes down to playing the game of all time. I think he's like Lendl 2.0. There's this kind of defensive roboticism that Djokovic and Murray in his pomp really mastered that no other players have ever come close to save Lendl. I think he played in a similar sort of way in a completely different era. But um, the grace and the just the effortlessness with which Federer executed his entire career, you know, it, it passes the eye test, as we often say in sport. It's like, forget the stats, forget the grand slams. You know, we, we never thought Federer would be touched when he passed Sampras. And yeah. now, you know, there's going to be three men over 20 when all said and done. Uh, so, yeah, I'm with you. It's Federer. But Mr. Rank disagrees. Mr. Rank believes that the greatest of all time when it comes to a tennis court is Serena Williams, which is certainly a fair argument. She has 23 Grand Slam titles, which is three more than Federer or Nadal. The only major title hole she trails is Margaret Court's 24th. I'm right, right? It is Margaret Court. I, uh, I wasn't watching tennis in the in the 60s and 70s, unfortunately. But um, Serena's been banging on the door for a long time now. She's needed that 24th slam for ages. She won her last one, I think, when she was pregnant at the Australian Open, which is nuts, really. You know, if you want to, if you want to divide these, uh, say, the top four in the conversation, is it Federer? Is it Williams? Is it Nadal? Is it Djokovic? Who's the, who's the greatest of all time? Then maybe just throw that pregnancy in there. Just say, yeah, she won a grand slam while she was pregnant. So fair enough. None of the other guys can say that they did that. So tell me, Serena is, for the sake of this list, the greatest tennis player of all time, although both our allegiances lie with Federer. Federer is an easy choice. He's like the most visible Rolex ambassador in the world, so we can just leave him off there with the Swiss brand that he's been following for years and years. Who or what would you pair with Serena and why? I think, well, she's an ambassador for a brand, and I think that brand is a perfect fit for her. So I go with the brand... Uh, the brand for Serena Williams AP. That is a pretty special brand and a pretty dominant brand. And, uh, you know, a, a brand that does have the same kind of strength and power and resilience and, uh, yeah, edge. I think edge is the thing that I associate with those two brands, but the brand of Serena and the brand of AP more than anything, they are, uh, indomitable competitors. Well, and it's a unique brand, right? They're, they're privately owned. Um, you know, they do, they do their own thing. Um, just like Serena Williams. I mean, we talked about Djokovic, we talked about Federer, we talked about Nadal. Those are all guys. You know, I am uh, obsessed with sports kits and jerseys and get-ups and whatnot. And this applies to all sports, men's sports, women's sports, doesn't matter. Uh, I frequently compile lists for my own amusement of the best kits in the NFL, NHL, MLB, whatever it is. Um, when it comes to tennis, um, there are very few like sartorially um, significant players in the past, I would say. Federer obviously tried his bit with his little cardigan and whatnot, which was cute, and his RF logo. Borg was, Borg was really cool, and Borg's gone on to start a career in fashion uh, himself. True. Uh, Agassi as well was a real trailblazer at the time, but none of them, none of them can hold a torch to Serena. And I know like there's a bit of a negative trope about um, like, significant uh, females in positions of power or influence or excellence always being reduced to like what they wear and whatnot, or, you know, how they look, blah, blah, blah. But I'm applying this metric to the guys as well. And I'm saying that there is nobody that does on court fashion and statements better than Serena Williams. Some of the stuff she's come out with just makes the game like 
so much cooler to watch. It's like you're watching a cyborg from the future dismantle. Uh, on the other side of the of the other side of the net, it's always kind of funny because it's always like some uh, poor little girl in a little like white white skirt. You know, she's trying to sort of like look as professional and as as ready for the game as she can against the greatest player of all time. She steps on court and Serena comes out in like a full body cat suit and she just looks like an assassin. And it's like <laughs> that that my friends is how to dress for work. So, uh, moving on to number four, we have. The big man, uh, recently injured. In you heard yes. about this? I take car accident. Yes, but another he's okay one. as far as I know. He's fine, but his leg is <laughs> another one. Did you say another one? <laughs> another one. Yeah, another. What one. was the first one? Oh, the windscreen incident. The windscreen incident. Yeah. <laughs> so of course, of course, to any sports fans around the world uh, keyed into current affairs, you will know we're talking about Tiger Woods, the fifteen-time major champion. He has 108 career wins, including 82 on the PJ Tour. I haven't got a stat sheet in front of me, but I believe that either trails or is tied with Sam Snead. I don't know. Uh, I think he's second or, or tied top for that. Um, his 15 majors obviously trail Jack Nicklaus, and uh, he got his 15th in remarkable fashion after coming back from, well, a slump like few others, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, personally and professionally, uh, Tiger had some bad years following the windscreen incident that we talked about when he uh, he crashed his car into a tree and had the windscreen um, remodeled by his ex-wife uh, for good reason, because he'd been a naughty boy. And uh, then he had to endure um, the ignominy of having his private life splashed all over the tabloids for years. His form dropped off a cliff. He had to go to rehab and do a lot of work on himself and his game. He came back, nobody saw it coming, and he won the 2019 Masters, which was just fantastic. Um, I think Tiger's a great redemption story. You know, everybody hated Tiger when he was uh, amazing and wonderful and uh, simultaneously beloved by the world because he was just too good. He was just too perfect. Like they had to tiger proof course courses. They had to change the whole game of golf to stop him from winning. Um, it was a crazy era in the sport, a sport that really shouldn't be able to be dominated like he did in his, in his heyday. Um, mm. But after his, after his fall from grace, one of the most public and undeniable falls from grace, he just became the guy everybody wanted to win. We're all rooting for him. And look, he did some, he did some pretty naughty things in his private life and, uh, you can say what you want about that. I, I don't. I don't care to judge my um, sports stars by the same moral metrics I might judge myself by. But um, it's a cool story, and he, he had to play it out in front of the world. So fair play to him. Um, what would you strap to his wrist? Yeah, that was a tough one for me because every time I see the name or read it in Tiger Woods, Tag Hoyer link comes to my mind every time. Ugh. Every time. Ugh. So so. I thought, you know what? Let's just keep him with Tag. You know, the brand to me, Tag Heuer, and the name Tiger Woods is one. Let's just keep him with Tag Heuer. Yeah, but didn't didn't Tag um, cut ties with him after? Look, well, whole... they did, they did, they did, they did. But what I'm saying is, as you said, he had a fall from grace, and now he kind of climbed back, right? Yeah, for sure. So then we talked about Tag Heuer being the brand of the '80s and the '90s. And then there was this David Guetta incident in the 2000s and 2010s. I really want to see Tag Heuer climb back. Tiger Woods, who did what Tag Heuer should do, climb back. 
I'm 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 on board with it from a story perspective, from a narrative perspective. That's okay. That's okay. But I had a couple of good choices here, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna lay those Go out it. there. I uh so, okay, so the first one is obviously a joke. I uh I said the Cartier crash would be a good watch for Tiger because uh after yesterday oh, was it yesterday? Well we're recording this on Friday evening, so uh yesterday's uh yesterday's accident um He's he's got a terrible track record behind the wheel. I don't I don't know really what's going on there, but um, yeah, either that one or and I believe he actually wears this. I believe he at least owns one. I've seen it on his wrist at one point. A Rolex Sea Dweller, and that is because it, like the man, can take an extreme amount of pressure. And I think it's a perfect embodiment of him. It's steel. It's hardy. It's no nonsense on the court. He's all business. Um, it's a proper tool watch and, you know, Tiger's got the best toolbox in golf. So there you go. It's my answer. Um, what about a G-Shock again? <laughs> don't, 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 don't. <laughs> we get, I, have no, I have no partnership with G-Shock, by the way. Yeah, we so get into that. Okay, number three on the list is Wayne Gretzky, the great one. Yes. Uh, ice hockey, for anyone that's not aware. Um, Gretzky was a star in the 80s and... Well, early 90s as well, I guess. Well, he played a long time, didn't he? He played like 20 years. Uh, he is a four-time Stanley Cup winner, nine-time winner of the Hart Trophy, which is awarded to the most valuable player in the NHL. He has the most regular season goals at 894, assists at 1,963, points 2,857, and hat-tricks 50 in NHL history. Woo! Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Since Gretzky, who's come close? Sid? Sid Crosby? Gretzky's yeah, Gretzky's God, man. I have this. I had a poster of him with the Oilers jersey, that the you know the blue, the blue, white, uh, and red Oilers with the big C captain. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he had the meanest, and I'm telling you, the meanest mullet I've ever seen in my life in that picture. He has a business, really business in the front, party in the back, but but hardcore. From the front, he looked like a like a altar boy, but the back was poof. I think that the mullet. I don't know. It's like a chicken and egg thing with the mullet and me and Gretzky. It's like, did the mullet know it was a mullet until Wayne Gretzky had a mullet? Like, then it sort of like was like self-confident and it became like rich and just deliciously poor taste that has echoed down the ages ever since. (laughs) I don't know. But that was early Gretzky, right? That was young, up-and-coming Gretzky with the Oilers. I think he probably had a lot to do with the mullet becoming um, an unfortunate... um, sidestep in fashion's progress um talking of edmonton actually uh, just as, as a slight aside dave dave Sargent, our um our beloved fratelli is a huge oilers fan would you believe indeed indeed yes he told me that one time we talked about hockey a few times and he told me that we should have gotten was, on the um, podcast for this one oh we should we should i mean i i, I was uh, just earlier like last year i was at uh, no two years well actually when was it uh, it was two years now, 2019, at the um, um, Mannheim Adlers game, the hockey game, and he actually knew the team, and he was he was, you know, fairly update with uh, with German hockey. So impressive yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's nice mm-hmm. that the guys on mm-hmm. the team have like the interests all cross over. And I mean, this is this is largely why I thought this podcast would be a nice idea, so that the readers get an insight into the things that go on in our heads, other than watchmaking. And hopefully, that starts some other discussions and takes us in different directions. And obviously, half of the Fratello crew are mad about um, racing cars, model racing cars. Uh, Fratello Racing at Fratello Racing Instagram. If you want to follow the guys and their um, 
hobbies, uh, their arts and crafts exploits <laughs> with their awesome little buggies, and then go ahead and check it out. Um, we should get them to do their own racing, Fratello Racing podcast as well in, in wake of this. But we need to give Gretzky a watch. Yeah, have a you watch. got a suggestion? I do. I do. I have, well, my suggestion is the Tudor Pelagos LHD. I wonder if you can guess why. Well, the first thing that popped to mind, and I, I could easily be wrong here, is wrist shots. <laughs> I, I don't mean I don't mean photographs. I mean the taking a wrist shot in hockey. But now I'm thinking about it logically. Was Gretzky left-handed? No. Gretzky was actually right-handed, but he used, as far as I know, a lefty stick. What? Is that as far true? as I know. As far as I, when I was when I was doing my research, I found an article about uh, the top ten. Uh, well, funny day was the top uh, left-handed uh, day, twenty ten. The best, the ten best sports lefties ever. And I was like, I never knew that Wayne Gretzky was left-handed. So I read the article, and then it said the great one is actually right-handed. But since he accomplished his NHL records using a lefty stick, he makes the list. How cool is that? That is awesome. And that is an amazing choice. And it, it definitely, definitely trumps my Norcane NHL um, PA limited edition released last year. I thought that was just, you know, the low hanging fruit and I went for it. But that is <laughs> glorious, glorious fact dropping, Balaj. That's crazy, wow, isn't it? You have just justified this entire podcast. What a cool, cool fact. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. Stunning. Yeah. So Tudor, Tudor Pelagos LLHD. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's the left-handed version with the crown at the nine o'clock. So that would be my pick for Wayne Gretzky. Also my favorite Tudor. Um, brilliant, brilliant stuff. And cool, talking, yeah, very cool watch. Talking of stunners, we are up to the number two spot, which is going to reveal the number one spot by us dropping it. And it is from the sport of basketball. Balaj, I'm going to let you take this one away because this is your forte. That's, that's my, that's my, yeah. That's my turf. Um, well, to me, he is the GOAT of basketball as well as sports in general. I mean, we, we talked about so many greats. We talked about, you know, we haven't talked about Michael Schumacher, who's also great in, in motor racing. But to me, he is the GOAT, definitely in basketball, hands down, Michael Jordan. Six-time NBA champion, as in six for six when it comes to the finals. Six times NBA finals MVP. <laughs> Five times NBA MVP, 10 times NBA scoring lead, two times Olympic medalist, uh, gold, obviously, 1984, and then did the Dream Team in 1992. Come on. What's there to say about Michael Jordan? Yeah, I mean, we are going to talk about basketball a lot on this podcast in the future, I'm sure, and we will frequently dip into the GOAT conversation. Um, I think for years, of course, people talked about the late Kobe Bryant as uh, a rival to Jordan. But that conversation has quietened down now with the emergence of LeBron. Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, we're going to be putting LeBron and MJ together for a long time. And I think that we might end up with a situation similar to what we're discussing in tennis, where like, say Djokovic might end his career on 24 slams. Maybe Federer doesn't win another one, for example. And, you know, you look at those pure stats and maybe you look at LeBron and you think, oh God, he took three teams to titles and he won so much right and, you know he went to didn't he go to eight or nine straight title games on awful teams sometimes he took some awful Cavs teams yeah. to the finals and 
you know, we're going to be talking about it all the way, but sometimes it's just about the way the game is played and the way an athlete makes you feel. And, you know, we picked Federer in tennis over Williams and over Djokovic and Nadal because of that. And this is where MJ is for me as well. I mean, you and I were roughly the same age. We grew up yeah. through the 90s watching um, the Bulls win this stuff real time. And um, Absolutely. MJ, was bigger. MJ was bigger than basketball. MJ was bigger than sport for a while. He, he was, I guess, really his generation's Ali in, in terms of his reach and his celebrity. Well, and he put, he put basketball and NBA on the map, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, because, and we're talking about the 90s, man. There was no Facebook, no, Twitter, no social media, no nothing. We barely had, you know, American channels in Europe uh, for the most part. And wherever you go in the world, whether that's South America, whether that's Asia, whether that's Africa, you ask 10, 10 random people on the street, they know Michael Jordan, I guarantee six, seven, eight of them will know the name. Yeah. That's, um, I often often have a conversation over a few beers with my mates about trans, transcendent sports stars, mm-hmm. sports stars that like mean not just more um, to the world than, you know, they do to their sport or, you know, whatever that actually change something like some social dynamic, the way that a sport is viewed, like the way that a sport operates, even like you say, Jordan was entirely responsible for the globalization of the NBA. That's no mean feat. You know, I often talk about it with, with soccer as well. And I, I always say, Oh, you know, David Beckham was the first real sort of soccer superstar in terms of commercialization. But every generation you speak to says something different. You know, someone will say it's Pele. My dad will say it's Pele. Um, I was speaking to my, uh, German, German buddy the other day and he was like, Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, definitely Beckenbauer. Beckenbauer was like a TV presenter or, uh, or pushcast. Yeah. For you, exactly. For you. Like, so it's obviously like, yeah. it's obviously often region specific, but. Jordan just dominated the world like uh, in a way that, yeah, I don't think anyone can do again, you know? No, I don't think so either. I mean, as you said, the GOAT NBA or who's basketball NBA GOAT questions is a completely different podcast and and LeBron and Kobe and things like that. But if you watch The, the Last Dance, I think that was an amazing uh, uh, series on Netflix. It really tells a great story about Michael Jordan and his mindset, which was almost sometimes super super sick you know to the point where he really wanted to win all day every day 24 7 365 in everything which is which is pretty crazy um but yeah he's number two on the list and um as i said i don't agree uh, uh with uh, uh with the writer uh on this i think that mr rank made a mistake here but anyways um you want to tell me what you picked for jordan because i know you were struggling and i'm gonna tell you what i picked um, no, I don't. I want, uh, I want to turn this one over to you entirely because I racked my brains on this one over and over and over and over and over again. And, uh, it's, it's kind of clouded for me because Jordan is actually a watch collector. Like he has yes. a, a fine collection and I can't really, I can't unbias myself from what I've already seen on his wrist very effectively. I guess, Oh God, if you really put me under it, it would have to be something like mm-hmm. nothing else. It would have to be something really, like emotionally um, mm-hmm. impactful. I'm debating. You tell me yours. You tell okay. me yours, and I'll, I'll tell you mine. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, my 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 thought process is the same. Like he's a watch collector, or at least he likes watches. We've seen him wearing Panerai's, Urvec, IWC, Big Pilot, and then I thought about okay, 
we should go with Patek, right? Or AP or something like, you know, the creme de la creme of watchmaking. But I said, no, 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 no. We have to go with something outlandish, something uh, that's gonna that's gonna shock you. I need, I want to shock you, Rob. So I went with Rumble, the Jacob and Co. Twin Turbo Furious Bugatti Three Hundred Plus. Oh my word! Um, I tell you why. Please do. It's a, it's a, it's a, a black watch, like a black on black, crazy looking watch with very uh, thin red accents on the side. Obviously, Chicago Bulls. Ah, uh, okay. It's a crazy looking watch, probably with a crazy price tag. And I know that Michael Jordan wants the. If he goes into the room, he wants to have the watch that nobody else has because he wants to win that game as well. And that's the watch nobody else has. And it's, you know, it's very close to like an Urwerk in terms of being an auto luxury piece and not something like you can go and buy in a shop or, 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 in, or in a, you know, order it from Patek. I mean, that's, that's as outlandish as it gets. And it's a winner in every every uh, every room. in Well, every room Michael Jordan goes into, not in every watch room. I'm sure about that, but what do you think about that? Twin Turbo Furious Bugatti 300 Plus. Uh, I think that it is, um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a monstrosity of a watch. Uh, it, it ticks all the boxes. <laughs> in a good way, right? Yeah, in a good way, of course, right? I mean, it's just total, I mean, you know what Jacob and Co are like. You know what they're like at Basel. You know what the stand is like. You know what they drape yes. all over the stand. And uh, yeah, not not my kind of brand. Um, but I've met the guy. Oh, well, I apologize. And if you're close personal friends, whatever, I don't care. I think that it's crass mostly, but it, it serves, a, it serves a certain portion of the market. I mean, Conor McGregor just dropped a crazy amount of cash on a, on a, a couple of Jacob and Co's, didn't he? Which were, I mean, yeah, in, in yeah. my opinion, not, not nice watches. Yeah. Just, yeah. Cringeworthy is a great word. Um, I think I have an answer for you actually. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of going to go aesthetically. I'm going to go perhaps in the furthest, furthest, uh, possible direction away from what you've selected um but i definitely definitely vibe with what you're saying about jordan needing to have something that nobody else has on his wrist when he walks in to a room but this guy is a serious collector you know he he loves his watches he knows what he's buying um and i think that he wants to be respected in that field like he wants to be respected on the court and in every walk of his life so i'm saying that jordan uses his immense wealth to turn up to an auction and purchase mm-hmm. George Daniel's personal self-made watch next time it comes up for sale. It's, well, yeah, this was hard to beat, man, I have to say. This is really I mean, hard to beat. You know, this is this is class. This is pure watchmaking class. It's completely unique. It's yeah. from the man himself. It's from the goat, the goat to the goat, you know? Yeah. I mean, Daniel's yeah, the true. greatest watchmaker in living memory. Sure, Roger Smith is, is right up there as well, and... Uh, you know, learned a lot at his knee, but you know, Daniels is the father of the coaxial escapement, first man to really do something that novel and you know widely adopted for centuries. So awesome, mm. yeah. That's what I'd go for. That's yeah, what I give Jordan. That's a, that's a great pick. That's absolutely right. I mean, I was thinking new, and obviously, um, well, I just gave you the reasons why I picked this one. Obviously, this is a joke. I mean, you don't don't take us too seriously, guys. <laughs> but um, but no, but that's that's an awesome that's an awesome pick. If I could have a suggestion, he should have this Georgianis on a red ostrich strap 
just because Chicago Bulls. <laughs> I love, I love it. You just like doubling down on the Chicago Bulls theme. Just <laughs> I like, <have> yeah, to. <laughs> has, has to be on the red ostrich strap. Otherwise, it, it doesn't make be. any sense. <laughs> All right, okay. perfect choice. Great, great choice. Love okay, it. Okay, that was good. I like. I enjoyed that one. And now we get to the top of the tree. So we all know who it's going to be. We started the show with him. We're going to round it out with Tom Brady of the formerly New England Patriots, currently Tampa Bay Buccaneers, seven-time Super Bowl champion, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three NFL MVP awards. Um, well, what to say here? <laughs> Shall I just... Giselle Bündchen's husband. Uh, yeah, Giselle Bündchen's husband as well. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way to describe him. Uh, I, I'm i just going to go straight off the bat because we've talked a lot already. We've talked a lot about Tom and funnily enough, the watch I've picked has come up twice already in this podcast and you won't believe it given the list of uh, amazing pieces we've had on the wrist so far. But for Tom, I would suggest a Casio G-Shock Square. Ooh. Seriously. And I'll tell you why. Okay, this man, he is all business and his career has gone beyond the point of subjective analysis, right? He's the best at what he does. He isn't the most flashy. I mean, he can't run for shit. He throws off a solid base and like you won't find him backflipping in the end zone when he sneaks in from a yard out. But he's durable, apart from that one season when he got his knee blown out. He's precise and he has exactly the same strategy that he did when he started 20 years ago and he's had consistent success with it. He works hard. He outperforms the opposition because he prepares, prepares, prepares. He's always on time. You know, look, you can have an AP, a Rolex or a Patek in the top spot if you want, but all of those guys are probably owned or do own a G-Shock as well. You know, you can't fault this credibility. And as Tampa proved with Tom's contract this year, the best needn't be expensive. Okay, I see your point. And uh, I kind of agree with it. Although I have to say, when when I thought about him, I put as I said, IWC is a fitting brand, so I, I can see the, the connection there, absolutely. If I wanted to go big, I would have said uh, Patek Philippe 5970, as I said, because I just I think that watch, to me, is like up there, and Tom Brady as well. Um, but then I also had some second thoughts, and I put down some auto luxury pieces from MBNF, and those are the Horological Machine 5 and 6. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah, that I mean, that's befitting of his status. You know, that's kind mm-hmm. of that's a, maybe a more like um, sensible choice in the context of this list, given what we've given the other people on it. But um, yeah, I'm sticking with the G-Shock. I think Tom would like that. He's too busy. He's got to win Super Bowl number eight. He doesn't want to go watch shopping. I'll just turn up at his doorstep with a nice G-Shock square. You know, it's timeless. It's classic. Everybody loves it. I'm surprised you haven't gone anything with a seven in it, you know. Well, that's a fair Should have point. done something like that, huh? What do you think about the, uh, well, staying with uh, with MBNF, the Horojuka machine number seven? Isn't well, that that's the more for Michael Jordan because it's red. Yeah, that's Jacopo. Yes. It's more It's more a Chicago Bulls color. It's more like Michael Jordan. That's watch. actually my favorite MBNF uh, horological machine. It really is. I, is it? I love, love, love it. I, I really love the ceramic, like the dome ceramic, like floating bezel that just like, it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool as hell. I mean, these watches, MBNF watches, they're supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. For me. I'd love to yeah. see a Chicago Bulls limited edition made especially for MJ. That would be cool. Oh, that would be nice. My favorite is the five, the HM5. Yeah, that's a top watch as well. That really that's is. That's really my favorite. I mean, look, I wouldn't kick any of them out of bed. Don't get me no, wrong. No, true. Yeah. true. Anyway, cool. on that cool. note, it's time to uh, wrap up a rather long, um, but very enjoyable, at least on my side, um, podcast. I hope you enjoyed it too, Balash, and I hope you'll come back awesome. 
Good, good, man. And hope you'll come back and join us again. Uh, we have plans to record a podcast next week. We're going to be talking more about hockey. It won't be quite so long. We had a bumper edition just to launch the concept, our new pod column, Wasp watching sports and sporting watches feel free to hit us up in the comment section on fratellowatches.com let us know what you liked what you didn't like what you'd like to see more of and if you'd like to feature on the podcast reach out to us directly and i'm sure we can make it happen so until next time thank you balaj once more and we will speak to you guys soon peace